So just over uh, a year ago, it would have been in November of 2014, that is a great looking sermon slide. It seemed like a good idea at the time. So just over a year ago, back in uh, November of 2014, uh, I was super excited because there was a brand new video game coming out, Star Wars Battlefront. Anybody know what I'm talking about in here? Timothy, me and Timothy. All right, some of us over there. I was super excited because Star Wars Battlefront was actually a game that Anna and I, when we were first married, we would play together. And we had this amazing, there was no kids, it was just Anna and I, this amazing bonding experience playing this, this stupid video game. You can learn a lot about your wife as you're playing video games together, I'm telling you. Or, yeah, she learned a lot about me, I'll tell you. But, but Star Wars Battlefront hadn't been made in close to 10 years, and here they were coming out with a brand new one. So I was like, yes, this is going to be awesome. Not only will, will I get to play all these wonderful campaigns and while away hours upon hours, but I can have this bonding experience with my wife. I went out and I bought the game. I took it home, and I was utterly disappointed in it. Thank you. Somebody. I had all these amazing expectations, but when the reality of the game came face-to-face -face with my expectations, my expectations crumbled. There was no true multiplayer where Anna and I could play together. There was no campaign season. I had to go online, which cost more money. And then you get beat up by, you know, six-year-old punks in their mom's basement. <laughs> it was absolutely disappointing. Just complete disappointment. And that's what happens sometimes when our expectations meet reality. Sometimes I think we expect the wrong thing. And what we think we want or what we think we really need when it comes face-to-face -face with reality is absolutely wrong. With that in mind, let's look at Matthew chapter 11. I hope that it'll all make sense at some point <laughs> in the next. John was in prison as Matthew chapter 11 opens. John is in prison and things were not going well for him. Like Jake and Elwood, he'd been given a mission from God to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah by calling them to repent of their sins and to turn toward God. And John did. If you read the early chapters of St. Matthew's Gospel, you see that John went boldly, proclaiming the need to repent because the kingdom of heaven was upon them. He boldly confronted the sin of the people. He boldly confronted the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And you know what? People heard. And they did exactly what John called them to do. They repented of their sins. They changed their heart, their attitude, and their behavior away from sin and towards God. They were baptized as a sign of that. He was doing his job as the one to prepare the way. And Jesus even came. Jesus came and John baptized him. And, and Jesus then began his earthly ministry. John boldly continued to speak the truth, even to kings. He, he spoke the truth to Herod and, and about Herod's sin with his sister-in-law. And then John found himself in prison. Found himself in prison while his cousin Jesus was gaining in his own popularity. And John, there in prison, heard what Jesus was doing. He heard what Jesus was saying. Jesus, you see, began his earthly ministry by going to the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth and there claimed to be the Messiah in fulfillment of Scripture, in fulfillment of prophecy from Isaiah chapter 61. 
There in that synagogue, Jesus claimed that he would be the one who would give sight to the blind, would proclaim good news to the poor, who would liberate the oppressed, and would give freedom to the captives. But there John sat in prison, in Herod's prison. Rome still oppressed the people. John was still captive. What was going on? What what was happening? John had questions. John was disappointed. John had doubts because the reality of Jesus did not meet his expectation. And so St. Matthew tells us that John sent word by his disciples and said to Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? I think we can understand John's disappointment when we understand John's expectations for Messiah. John looked at Jesus kind of like kind of like I was looking at Star Wars Battlefront. John was looking at Jesus kind of like the way we look at a Big Mac. A Big Mac. <clears throat> Have you ever seen a television commercial or a magazine advertisement for a Big Mac? They make that thing look like the most amazing hamburger ever produced by anyone ever in all of history. Right? On the the television commercial or in the magazine, the box that it's supposed to come in cannot contain the glory of two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, all on a sesame seed bun. Right? I mean, it's on the advertisement. And so with stomach rumbling, mouth watering, you go to McDonald's to get one for yourself, and you get the box, and there's nothing hanging out of it. You get the box, and it's closed perfectly fine. You get the box, and you're wondering what's happening. You open the box, and what you get looks completely different than what you thought you were getting. The reality of the Big Mac looks like something that had been served in a school cafeteria after it had fallen off of a delivery truck and been run over a few times. (laughs) The reality does not meet the expectation, and A sense of disappointment sets in. When what we get doesn't match what we want or what we think we're going to get, disappointment sets in. And that seems to be where where John the Baptist finds himself sitting there in, in prison, in Herod's prison. Where was Jesus' army? Where was the overthrow of Rome? Where was the establishment of a kingdom? Where was the judgment upon evil and evildoers the Messiah was supposed to bring? Where was it? Well, Jesus' response points John and points us to a greater reality than John expected and a greater reality than we can possibly expect. As we look at Jesus' response to John, let's first notice, just as a side note, there is real kindness in the simple fact that Jesus responded to John and his disciples. There's real kindness in here, in the simple fact that Jesus responded to John in the midst of his disappointment and doubt. Jesus could have ignored him. He could have. It is possible for Jesus to ignore John the Baptist. He didn't. Jesus could have chastised him as one of little faith. He uses that line a little later on. But he doesn't. He could have had a sarcastic reply to to John the Baptist for his questions. But instead of all of those things, instead, Jesus kindly answered John's question. And he does so by pointing John toward what he had been doing, what Jesus had been doing. 
Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. And what do the disciples hear and see? What is it that Jesus has been doing? The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. When asked if he was the Messiah, Jesus responded by pointing to his deeds, six deeds which the Messiah was expected to do when he came. These six deeds were signs the prophet Isaiah proclaimed the Messiah would do and give when he came, and Jesus did them all. Between chapters 4 and 9, Jesus cast out of of, of Matthew. Between chapter 4 and chapter 9 of St. Matthew, Jesus cast out demons, calmed the storm, and proclaimed the good news of the coming of the kingdom. In chapters 8 and 9 alone, Jesus cleansed a leper, He healed the centurion's servant. He healed a man who was paralyzed. He gave sight to a blind man. He healed a mute person. He stopped the bleeding of a woman. He raised a dead little girl to life. And Matthew includes this healed many, a catch-all phrase. The answer to John's question, the response to John's doubt, to John's disappointment, is a simple yes, I am the one for whom you were looking Look at what I have done. But it's also, I think, Jesus saying, you are expecting the wrong things at the wrong time. John had heard that Jesus was doing these things. His question comes from his expectations. If you look at John's preaching, he indicates that he expected the Messiah to bring immediate judgment upon evil and evildoers. And yet Jesus delayed. He called people to repent and hear him. If you look at John's preaching, he seems, and and, and the context in which John arose historically, he seems to have expected a political dimension to the Messiah's activity, overthrowing Roman oppression, establishing a new kingdom for the people of Israel. But Jesus wasn't going about Palestine fomenting rebellion against the Roman overlords. In fact, he'd helped one of them by healing their servant. And more personally, John was sitting in prison. When his cousin, Jesus, said, I have come to set the captives free. What John can't see is that the simple fact that while Jesus doesn't meet his expectations, his expectations were wrong, and the reality of Jesus as Messiah actually is far greater than he can possibly imagine. John was thinking about Jesus in terms of a Big Mac when he should have been thinking about Jesus in terms of Tom Brady. Tom Brady was a sixth-round draft pick in the 2000 NFL draft. He was the 199th overall pick. And if you all don't know much about football, it's okay. Uh, Being a sixth-round draft pick and the 199th pick overall, expectations for Tom Brady and his career were absolutely low. You see, the the, the sixth-round picks are, are basically warm bodies for training camp, cannon fodder, so to speak. Now, they're for special teams. And a quarterback who is picked in the sixth round can expect to be a career backup at best. As a sixth round draft pick, as a quarterback who wasn't a regular starter in college, expectations of Tom Brady were low, incredibly low. In fact, there probably weren't any expectations for him to make the team, much less become a regular contributor. And yet, when the reality of Tom Brady's career is compared to those expectations, it isn't even close 
Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time to ever play in the NFL, and I will fight you on that if you want to disagree. <laughs> I kid, of course. But Brady has won four Super Bowls. He is a three-time Super Bowl MVP, a two-time NFL MVP. Tom Brady has over 60,000 career passing yards, has close to 450 touchdown passes, is the NFL's all-time leader for playoff passing yards and career victories with 201. Like Tom Brady, where reality far exceeds expectations, the reality of Jesus as Messiah exceeds the expectations of John the Baptist and of anybody sitting in here. Jesus is far greater than you could possibly imagine, even if you are like Han Solo, one who can imagine quite a bit. When asked about his identity, Jesus pointed to his miracles. Why? Well, Jesus' miracles not only are in fulfillment of prophecies about the Messiah, but Jesus' miracles are an act of war upon a kingdom far greater than Rome. Jesus' miracles were an act of war as he was waging war, but not with some geopolitical kingdom or empire like John expected. No, Jesus was waging war with a far older kingdom, one far more oppressive than even Rome. Jesus was waging war against the kingdom of darkness and everything associated with it, blindness, sickness, sin, and death. And his miracles are a swing of his sword. In his wonderful book of fiction, Peace Like a River, author Leif Inger says something incredibly profound when he writes, let me say something about that word miracle. For too long, it's been used to characterize things or events that, though pleasant, are entirely normal. Peeping chicks at Easter time, spring generally, a, a clear sunrise after an overcast week, a miracle, people say, as if they've been educated from greeting cards. I'm sorry, but nope. Such things are worth our notice every day of the week, but to call them miracles evaporates the strength of the word. Real miracles bother people. They rebut every rule all we good citizens take comfort in. Lazarus obeying orders and climbing up out of the grave, now there's a miracle. When a person dies, the earth is generally unwilling to cough him back up. A miracle is no cute thing, but more like the swing of the sword. And the reality of Jesus as Messiah far exceeds even John's expectations because Jesus is waging war on a level of reality that John doesn't seem to have eyes to see or to understand. John uh, and those like him seem to be looking for a temporal war while Jesus was waging a cosmic war. And so Jesus points to his miracles as signs of his identity because they are the swing of his sword in the great battle of light and dark. And Jesus, through his miracles, was turning the darkness around. He was undermining the power of the evil in the universe. And so when it comes to the relationship between expectations and reality, there seems to be two basic categories. First, either our expectations will far exceed reality, as in the case of the Big Mac. And this leads us to disappointment, the loss of a sense of wonder. It leads us to doubt. And it's good for us to point out that John was expecting Jesus to be the Messiah on John's own terms. John was expecting Jesus to be the Messiah in the way he wanted Jesus to be the Messiah. But Jesus won't have any of that. Jesus will only be Messiah on the terms and in the timing of the Father. 
Jesus will not be Messiah on John's terms. It wasn't up to John to determine how Jesus would be Messiah. And you know what? It isn't up to you. And it isn't up to me. Our expectations can lead us so far astray that we actually miss out on what Jesus is doing because we can only look at what we want or what we think Jesus ought to be doing. But as Mick Jagger once crooned, you can't always get what you want. (laughs) And sometimes when you get what you want, what you actually find is absolute destruction. John didn't get what he wanted from Jesus' reply. There was no jailbreak for John, but there was a call to trust that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, even if he didn't fit John's categories. The other sort of connection between expectations and reality is where we encounter reality and find that the reality is far better than our expectations ever would be. Tom Brady, been married or had children, and I'm sure it's the same with grandchildren. You can expect something, and then when you're in the midst of it, it is far greater than you could possibly have expected. This is a place where surprise and wonder blows away what we expect. When it comes to Jesus, our problem is never that we expect too much. It's that we expect too little. When it comes to Jesus, it's never that we expect too much, something that he cannot possibly attain. No, when it comes to Jesus, our problem is that our imaginations are far too small, our expectations are far too limited, our scope of vision is far too narrow. When it comes to Jesus, if we find ourselves in a place of disappointment, it is because of an issue or a problem with ourselves and our expectations. We're desiring, we're expecting the wrong things, a different Messiah than Jesus was and Jesus is. But if, however, we submit to Jesus as he is, there is a place of peace, contentment, and abundance of life. The reality of Jesus as Messiah far exceeds any expectation we can possibly have. And the amazing thing about this whole encounter is that Jesus will do all of those things John expected. Jesus will judge. Jesus will bring his kingdom upon the earth, but he will only do them in accordance to the Father's will and in the Father's timing. Jesus came to preach the good news of God's kingdom. He called people to repent. He came to manifest God's kingdom by battling against the forces of evil and darkness, by undoing death, corruption, and decay. He did this through his miracles. He did this upon the cross and through his resurrection. And he will do this when he comes again. This work that Jesus was about and that which Jesus is now about is far greater than we can expect, than we can imagine. And in order to explain this to the crowd, Jesus compared John to those who received the blessings of Jesus' kingdom. John was great, Jesus said. He was the last prophet before the Messiah came, specially sent by God with a mission from God. He was great. But even the least among those who received the blessings of Jesus will be greater than John. Why? Because Jesus is greater than John. And the kingdom that Jesus brings is far greater than what even John can expect. Jesus far exceeds expectations. His kingdom is far greater because he is greater and the benefits of his kingdom and his kingly reign are greater. 
In Jesus' kingdom, through his sacrifice, through his death upon the cross, there is full and forever provision for the forgiveness of sins. Later in scripture, it is said there is no more sacrifice. Nothing else is possible because Jesus has done it. In Jesus' kingdom, there is true and abundant life in his resurrection. Is my mic on, Craig? Yeah? I just wasn't sure that you all heard me say that. Because that's pretty good news. In Jesus' kingdom, through his sacrifice, there is full and forever provision for the forgiveness of sins. In Jesus' kingdom, there is true and abundant life in his resurrection. In Jesus' kingdom, there is acceptance and access to God as his children. In Jesus' kingdom, the Spirit is given to indwell those who believe. In Jesus' kingdom, there is forever life where he is forever king. And that is a reality that will exceed every expectation. We, like John, must learn and have our expectations informed, not by what we think we desire, but by Jesus himself. Advent is that time in which we are challenged to see and hear Jesus and to know the reality of Jesus as Messiah, that he far exceeds any expectation we can possibly have. Advent is a season of hope, the season of confidence as we look forward to the fullness of Jesus' kingdom. Jesus is the one whose first advent we celebrate, the one born in a manger, who lived this life of sinless perfection, who died as sacrifice, who rose conqueror, who ascended as king, who will come again. This is the one we worship, the Messiah who has defeated the kingdom of darkness and evil. And this is the one whose second advent we look for, the one who exceeds all our expectations. What do you expect from him? What do you see? What do you hear? Jesus is greater, a greater reality. Jesus, it's kind of like Tom Brady. Even far greater. I said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious God.